Hebrews chapter 8, verse 8. God's word says, For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant. And so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete, and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that you have given to us, and we pray that that we would not walk out these doors not changed, but that you would change us by your word, by your spirit, change our hearts and our minds, and help us to be receptive to your word. Would you do this for us, Father? Would you make us more like your son? And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. So uh, a few years ago, um, I was tasked with watching my little brother, Luke. He was about two at the time. It was a few days after my mom's birthday. And and Luke, he's not really a, he's not a tough kid to watch. He just wanted to um, watch bubble guppies and and eat snacks. Like it was pretty easy. Um, But this time, I mean, he was just adamant. Like he wanted my mom's leftover birthday cake. He's like, can I have the cake? Can I have the cake? I was like, no, no. But Jake, can I have the, no, you cannot have the cake. But I want cake, I don't care. Um, so I had the thought, I was like, you know what? I'm gonna be a good um, babysitter slash um, brother. Uh, okay, look, buddy, if you, if you wait until mom and dad get home, if you're patient, then when they get here, I'll make sure they give you two pieces of cake. His eyes got real big. He's like, oh, two pieces of cake. Um, and so I said, I promise I'll do that. Do you promise to me you'll be, you'll be patient? And he nodded his head. And so I was like, all right. So we go and we're laying down. We're just watching uh, Bubble Guppies, you know, uh, Una and Nani and Mr. Grouper. No, nobody's a fan of that show. I love that show. Um, as, as interesting as Bubble Guppies was, though, um, I fell asleep. And I, I want to think, I want to think that somewhere... Like I, that Luke had an internal struggle, an internal dialogue with himself of, I shouldn't go get the cake, but, but there's cake. But, I, uh, but Jake said, like I, I, I promised him, Jake, Jake said not to go get the cake. Yeah, but it's cake. Yeah, but I, I'd get two pieces of cake if I wait, but there's a whole cake in there right now. I, I want to imagine that Luke had um, some sort of internal dialogue such as that, but in any case, I woke up to this. that face that face oh that was fantastic um i said dude what are you doing what's wrong with you you're you're eating my you're eating this cake and i told you not to and he had just the saddest face um and i was like 
I had the thought. I was like, wait a second. Hey, hey Bubba, um, do you know what a promise is? And he said, and I was like, oh, man. So it was the, the promise was good, but it was the, one of the parties was not um, able to uphold their end of the promise. Um, but the, the truth is, you and I are just like Luke in this story, except we know exactly what a promise is. We are just uh, straight up not able to, or on purpose, um, we are disobedient, whether we realize it or not, we're in a promised relationship with the Father. God, through his promise, promises to bless us if we obey, but we disobey. How do we disobey? Well, we do things like we feel that our spouse won't like what the truth entails and that ignorance is bliss for them, so we disobey God in our lying. We think that the annoyance we feel from another person just needs to be talked about, so we disobey God in our gossiping. We believe that if we go there in our minds, then we're safer than if we actually did anything physically, so we disobey God in our lust. We feel that surely God cannot forgive us because of our sin, and so we go on sinning, go on disobeying. We cannot uphold our end of that promise. And it's not merely behavioral, it's not outward actions, but it's sadly proof of a deeper issue in us that keeps us from obeying, keeps us from fulfilling our end of the promise. But what we're gonna see from God in Hebrews 8 that he saw the issue with the way that it was all set up and he's going to do something about it. He made a new covenant with his people because he saw the flaw in the old one, humans. This new covenant, the one that God sets before you and I today, is his promise that he will forgive sin and restore fellowship if hearts and minds are turned toward him by believing in Jesus. If you look at verse 12, says, for I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. How does God do this? How does, how does God make this new covenant better than the old one? Well, he does so by giving us three gifts. One is a better mind, a better heart, and a better fulfillment. We need a better mind, one that thinks along the same lines as what God thinks, a better heart, one that feels and loves and has courage along the same lines as what God does. And the first two still aren't enough, so we need a better fulfillment of our end of the promise. So let's take a look at the first one. God gives us a better mind. If you look at verse eight. For he finds fault with them. So you wanna pause there for a second. He finds fault with them. He, throughout verse, or chapter eight, he's talking about the covenant, he's talking about this promised relationship, and he says, but I found fault with them, the people. He found fault with the, um, with the humans. The old promise was upheld on God's end, so it was a good promise, just like my promise with Luke. It was a good promise, but he didn't, he didn't know what a promise was, so it was rough. Um, but it was the people that God found fault with. They could not keep their end of the promise. Why? because the promise was based on obeying God's holy law. And we cannot do that. They could not do it. So he keeps going, for he finds fault with them when he says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant. So we've been using the word promise, um, but it, 
promise, covenant. Um, what is a covenant? A covenant is a legal promise between two parties to uphold separate ends of said promise to an end. And if not, whichever party failed to do so was cursed. For example, um, in uh, Genesis 15, there's, there's an instance of, um, of Abram. It's before he turns into Abraham, before God changes his name. Um, and Ab- God tells Abram to, he said, I'm going to make a covenant with you. And, and Abram's like, oh, I know exactly what that is. So he goes and he starts to grab all these animals. This is the way they did it. They would grab some animals that they would set up as an offering. They would split them down the middle. Then they would move them out a little bit and then they would pass through the pieces. This was their way of, of promising. And in that promise, they would say, may what happened to these animals happen to me if I don't uphold my end of this promise. This new covenant, the one that God sets before us today, is his promise that he will forgive sin and restore fellowship if hearts and minds are turned toward him by believing and Jesus, if not, then the curse of being ripped apart. That is to say, death. So what's God going to do about the fault that he finds in his people, their lack of faithfulness, their lack of being able to, f- to fulfill their end of the promise? Take a look at verse 10. It says, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds. I will put my laws into their minds. I will change, completely alter their minds. What does that mean? So it doesn't mean that we have internally memorized the entirety of the book of Leviticus. um, Because, take a look at uh, Leviticus 11 real quick. I'm going to read this. You shall not eat these. Now, before I get to the pig one, um, just everybody calm down. It's an Old Testament law. It's not not for us. Um, You shall not eat these. The camel, the rock badger, the pig, the eagle, the bearded vulture, the black vulture, the kite, the falcon of any kind, every raven of any kind, the ostrich, the night hawk, the seagull, the hawk of any kind, the little owl, the cormorant, the short-eared owl, the barn owl, the tawny owl, the carrion vulture, the stork, the heron of any kind, the hoopoe, whatever that is, um, the bat, the mole rat, the mouse, the great lizard of any kind, the gecko, the monitor lizard, the lizard. I feel like you could have just said the lizards, like any lizard. Um, the sand lizard and the chameleon. So, Jared, will you take that off for me real quick? Can anybody name me the fourth, tenth, and thirteenth one? What about just the fourth and the tenth? What about just number seven? Lizard was one of them, but you could have just said that, yeah, because lizard was a bunch of them. Um, but so it, it cannot mean um, that we have um, this, you know, Leviticus in our brains um, because we, we don't have God's laws in a Rolodex in our mind. It cannot mean that, um, but it means that God puts his spirit into our minds and it helps us to recall the laws of God. Why is this better? gives us a new mind, a better mind. Why is this better? Because our current minds have a spirit and a bent, um, a mindset that is hostile toward God. And it makes us, it, it fuels our outward actions towards sinning against God. Oh, by the way, which is something that makes us fail in upholding our end of the promise. But God puts a new mind in us, gives us a new spirit of our mind, a new mindset, which clues us into those moments we are drifting in sin and away from God. 
With our new mind, God gives us, gives us a built-in warning system that signals us when something that we have done is wrong. God gives us a better mind that is to our souls what pain sensors are to our body. It's a distress call in the form of guilt whenever we violate what God tells us is right. So in looking at the people of the Old Testament, um, the people with whom he found fault, remember, God saw that no amount of preaching, pleading, pointing of fingers was, was going to bring about the conviction of sin, so God stepped in. Um, before I became a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ, um, I was in high school, obviously. Um, I, was a, uh, I was a junior, I was at my junior prom, and uh, it, was a, it was a fun prom to remember because my date didn't talk to me, the entire prom. Why, you ask? Well, I, thank you for asking. Let me tell you. The, um, so we're, we're at this, you know, we did the whole limo thing and taking pictures, and we're going to this real nice restaurant in downtown Dallas, and um, it, was really, it was really cool, it was fun. Um, and then we get to the restaurant, and there's like a line of prom people. I was like, oh, real original guys, we all picked the same restaurant. Um, but there was this super long line, like it's gonna be um, a long time until we get in, and I had to, um, like I drank too many sparkling grape juices, so I was like, oh, I gotta go to the bathroom. Um, so I walk up, I was like, hey, I'm, I'm gonna be back. I, I walk up, you know, past all these people, and, and I walk through the doors, and the lady's behind the hostess desk, and I said, where's your bathroom? And she said, are you a, um, like, are you, are you eating here? And I was like, yeah, I will be here in like three hours when this, lights, when this line dies down. Um, and she said, I'm sorry, if you're not eating here, uh, then, then you can't come in to use the bathroom. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, can I pay for my food now? Like, I've just got to go to the bathroom. Um, and she said, no, I'm sorry, I can't do that. And I was like, well, that's a little ridiculous. Um, so I, I asked her, I was like, where's the nearest bathroom? And she was like, I don't, I don't know. Um, so I went and tried to find a place and I, I told my date, I said, I'm going to be back. I got to find a bathroom. Um, so I left and I'm trying to find a bathroom. I, I kid you not, it took me like 35 minutes. Um, I, have, down, downtown Dallas is really confusing. Everything was kind of closed on a Saturday, except for this church. I walked into this church and the church had um, a wedding going on. I didn't know that. So I walked in on the wedding. I was like, all right, I'm gonna close this door. Um, it was really embarrassing and nobody had a bathroom. I finally found one. It was fantastic. I, I was a, like, just, it was, it was, it was wonderful. But it was all, like, it was all um, out of order. I don't know what the right word is for the bathroom. They were cleaning it, I guess, or something. I was like, oh, are you kidding me? This is ridiculous. Um, so it, it took me 35 minutes to try and find a bathroom. Um, I come back. My table had already sat down, or the people that I was with, we had already sat down. And um, my date is in kind of like a corner chair, and she's got her friends, you know, around her, putting her arm around her and everything, and she's sobbing. And I was like, what's wrong with you? Like, what happened? Um, so I, I walk up, and, and one of her friends walks over and, you know, just, has like this, put her finger on my chest, and I was like, um, I was like, what? She said, uh, you, uh, she thought that you ditched her. And I was like, I'm right here. Like, what do you mean I ditched her? Like, I just had to go to the bathroom. Um, long story short, she didn't end up talking to me the rest of the night. Um, I thought that was a little ridiculous. But um, I remember at, at the prom place, we're like 21 floors up, I think, and, and we're in this building in, in Dallas. And so I'm just looking out the window. And I'm just like, hmm. There's downtown Dallas. But I, ha I had the thought, this relationship's probably over. <laughs> so um, I guess I'm gonna have to find another one. Because I need a girl to make me happy. I need a girl in my life in order to be happy. 
So that's exactly what I'm going to do. But they want to go and be crazy and, and say weird things like that. So I guess I'm just going to have to go from this girl to this girl to this girl because one of, the odds are one of them is going to be or do something pretty crazy. So I'm going to have to move on and find something else. And I'll drop them and it's on to the next one. And I, I had this thought as I'm sitting there, and I thought, maybe if I date enough girls, then this one will give me a little bit of joy, this one will give me a little bit of joy, this one will give me a little bit of joy, and my tank will be full if I just date enough girls. What? What? Like, looking back on it now, I'm just like, oh my gosh. I had that thought, and just saying it out loud, I'm like, oh, that sounds really crazy. Um, so the girls should have dumped me. But, um, but do you see the problem? I needed a better mind. I needed a new mind. One that thought like God thinks. One that had the mindset that God has. So that I wouldn't use his creation as means to an end. And I think it's perfectly summed up in this way. May the mind of Christ, my Savior, live in me from day to day by his love and power controlling all I do and say. May the word of God dwell richly in my heart from hour to hour so that all may see I triumph only through his power. May the peace of God, my Father, rule my life in everything that I may be calm to comfort, sick and sorrowing. May the love of Jesus fill me as the waters fill the sea, him exalting, self-abasing, this is victory. May I run the race before me, strong and brave to face the foe, looking only unto Jesus as I onward go. May his beauty rest upon me as I seek the lost to win, to win, and may they forget the channel, seeing only him. That's what a new and better mind looks like. Romans 12, verse 2, verse 2 puts it this way. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So God, through this better promise, this better covenant, gives us a better mind. With a better mind, we no longer have to view relationships as consumeristic. The Spirit will conform us to His word and His example. With a better mind, we will think about others in a way that we never have before. Something like, how can I bless this friend? With a better mind, we will have so much patience and so much mercy with our kids, even when we don't feel like it. With a better mind, we do not have to pull out Leviticus real quick in our mind Rolodex to see what we should do when sin is pulling us in a direction we will, by God's grace, know. Now the issue is, and the struggle is, it's not black and white all the time. There will be times where we feel convicted towards something or, um, or, and we're not sure why, not sure of all the implications, or we just straight up don't know what to do. In those moments, we must let Scripture be our guide to what we feel, not the other way around. We can take comfort in the fact that God will not lead us into sin, and trust that he will take care of us despite our minds being still foolishly finite. So what about you? Do you need 
a new mind? Have you seen your mind being transformed? Do you think about things in ways that you have never before? Do you no longer think about the things that you used to think about? Do you have a new mind? So the new covenant, this new promise is a better covenant because God gives us a better mind to help us fulfill our end of the covenant, but he also gives us a better heart. If you look at, just continuing on in verse 10, we'll just start at the beginning. For this is the covenant, this new covenant, this better covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. A completely changed, altered, new heart. In the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, God would write laws on a stone tablet. Have you guys ever seen the Ten Commandments? Um, Charlton Heston? No? Okay. Well, it's, do you know any Charlton, Charlton Heston movies? Yeah. Planet of the Apes? All right. Tough crowd again. Um, but so now what, what God does now, instead of writing them on stone tablets, he moves in and he writes them on our hearts. But why? Because Mark chapter 7 verse 21 through, through, through 23 says, for from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. The command center of our outward actions, what we do is right here, is our heart. The fact that we sin outwardly is a direct sign of how sinful our hearts are. So in the better covenant, God will give us a better heart. Um, once upon a time, there was a tall and handsome man um, who had nothing else going for him except for the fact that he was tall and handsome. <clears throat> Until one day, uh, God sets up a plan for this man to become king of nations. He's gonna be the king, a leader. Um, from a worldly perspective, like how it happened, it looks like chance because there were, there were 12 nations that they got to pick from. They picked this one guy out of, they cast lots. So they just rolled the dice. They're like, all right, let's see. It looked like chance. Um, it looked like he just got lucky. But this man still had nothing of significance to boast in. He was like, yeah, I'm, I'm tall and handsome. Um, in, in fact, his nation, the one that he came from, was literally called the humblest of all nations. Like, that's not very kingly. Oh, I want bravest of all nations or, you know, big, big chest or something, you know, like some, some sort of kingly um, characteristic. So this man, uh, this man was probably not fit to be king. But God stepped in and did something miraculous. 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 9. He's talking about what he does with King Saul before he becomes king. It says, God gave him another heart. So suddenly after this, uh, Saul just starts prophesying. No record of him ever having done that before. Um, and then people who knew him previously, like previous to this new heart, they're like, yo, who is this guy? That's a literal translation. Um, they said yo a lot. 
Um, but so then he starts commanding people to do what, what God's word tells them to do. Um, and then he goes and wins a war. I mean, there's nothing out of this tall and handsome man that, that said that. He had a new heart. The prerequisite was that he needed a new heart. This is exactly what God does with us in the new covenant, the better covenant. I will change your heart. I will give you a new heart. And without it, we cannot, nor would we even want to fulfill our end of the promise. So with our new hearts, we can love and care for that person who is hard to love and care for. With our new hearts, we can forgive the unforgivable from our spouse, our friends, our kids. With our new hearts, we can have patience upon patience, grace upon grace with our kids, our spouse, our friends. With our new hearts, we can have the hard conversations at work, at home, with our children. God changes us by giving us a better mind and a better heart, both of which change our actions changes who we are, and it helps us. It lines us up to succeed in fulfilling our end of this new promise, this better promise. So do you need a new heart? Do you need a better heart? It gives courage and love, maybe sometimes bravery, where you need it. Sadly, though, a new mind and a new heart are not enough. From the text, uh, we see that uh, we, we do have a new mind and we do have a new heart, um, but it's, it's not really fully new. Because look at, uh, <clears throat> look at verse 11. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. We know, like just right now, in our day and age, this is not true. Not everyone knows the Lord. And then he keeps going in verse 12, and this will help, help us to see what, what is actually happening. I mean, sorry, verse 13. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete, and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away, but it's not yet. So we have a new heart and we have a new mind, but they're still not fully new. They're still not fully perfect. So if we're left like this, if we're left with just a, um, a new mind that is, that is new, but it's not fully yet new, and a new heart that is new, but it's not you know, fully perfect, fully new, then we would, we would fail as, with, as those with whom God found fault in verse 8. We need to know that it is coming one day, that our hearts and our minds will be perfect one day. Because we need hope. We know how far we are from it. Our lives show it. So we need a better fulfillment of the law. We need a better fulfillment of our end of the promise because we cannot hold to it. But this is exactly what God gives to us in Jesus. So number three, God gives us a better fulfillment. If you look at the last part of verse 10. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Notice who does the work here. Look at verse 8, and then we'll skip to 10 and then go to 12 again. Verse 8, for he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will. 
establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Skip to 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And then verse 12, for I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. God is the one that does it. How does this work though? So I told you about Genesis 15. Um, God is, is telling Abram of the promise that his, his offspring is gonna be as numerous as the stars. But Abram, much, much like us, much like our hearts, says, but how, how do I know? Like, how will I know that you're actually gonna fulfill this promise? For us, how do we know that God's promise to forgive sin and restore fellowship, if hearts and minds are, minds are turned toward him by believing in Jesus, how do we know that that's actually gonna happen? So God tells Abram to gather a heifer, a goat, a ram, a turtle dove, and a pigeon. And Abram goes immediately to do this. He's like, I, I, I know exactly what this is. Back in the day, in this day, in order to make a legal binding promise, that was a covenant. A covenant had to be made. And it symbolized the promise that may what happen to these animals that have been split, that have been ripped apart, may that happen to me if I do not uphold my end of the promise. So then uh, they split the animals. This all happens. They're, they're getting ready to, to make this covenant. And then Genesis 15, verse 7 says, When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and flaming torch passed between the pieces. This is God. God passed between the pieces. So in that moment, this is what God is saying. I not only promise to bless you, I promise to die if I do not bless you. But even more amazing than that, God didn't call Abram to pass through the pieces. Verse 18 says, and God made a covenant. That's it, ceremony's over. Abram didn't do anything. God is saying, not only will I be torn to pieces if I don't keep my promise, I'll be torn to pieces if you don't. And he was. Centuries later, God in the form of Jesus Christ was torn to pieces, but why? He was taking on our covenant curse. The one that was meant for the party that did not uphold their end of the promise, that curse was meant for us. We were not able to uphold our end of the covenant, our end of the promise, so God did it for us. I will. When God says that he will give us a better mind, he promises to do so unto his own death. When God says he will give us a better heart, he promises to do so unto his own death. When God says that he will give us a better fulfillment of our end of the covenant, our end of the promise, he promises to do so unto his own death, and he did. This should absolutely change our lives again and again and again when we read Genesis 15 and we remember that Abram didn't pass through, oh, God's gonna see this through. It's not up to me. Do you believe this truth? Do you believe that we get to see the fruits of the blessing that come from this new covenant because of the union that we share with Jesus Christ? 
He was the fulfillment of the covenant, the promise on our behalf. If we believe that nothing less than Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection was necessary to take the curse of the covenant on our behalf and give us the blessing, then we get Jesus' blessing that he deserved. And he takes on our death that we deserved. This is what it means to love and follow Jesus, to believe that. There's literally no other way but by Jesus that we are reconciled to God and we get to spend eternity with him. But imagine, just think about it. One day our minds will be perfect and our hearts will be perfect. We will be sitting at the table with Jesus, reclining in the presence of our fulfillment. Here in a minute, we're going to turn and, and take the Lord's Supper together, but this is what we picture. God is not calling us to make great promises to Him, He's calling us to trust His great promises to us. How do we know, God, that you're going to fulfill our end of the promise, your promise? because he already has. We remember Jesus' body being broken and his blood being shed. We remember Jesus, our fulfillment. Because on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which was broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way also, he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have done for us, done in the past tense verb, verbiage, what we could not ever do for our own selves. You lived a life of perfection, died a death that we deserve to die. But we know that there's, right there, the story is not over. And it's because you have been, you are the one that has fulfilled the covenant, the promise on our behalf. So we thank you. We give you praise. We give you the glory and the honor of all of it. Would you help our hearts to remember that? Would you help our hearts to remember you? It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Slide back up. Let's read that slide again. Father, forgive me for my sins that caused you to take on my punishment. Thank you that you did for me what I could not do in Jesus. Thank you for forgiving me. We're going to respond to that in song now. So let's stand together if you need prayer as we sing this song together. Pete's going to stand over here to your right. He'd love to pray with you or for you. Uh, maybe you came in with a need this morning. Maybe something touched your heart through the message. 